Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, cats and dogs, and Canadian geese claiming American citizenship. It's Thursday at 3 o'clock, and you know what that means. It's tea with BVP. Hey, everyone out there, I'm your host, BVP, a.k.a. Bill Van Patten, the diva. The big diva of SLA. <laughs> now he's adding more to it. Ah. Well, we'll see what other adjectives we <laughs> We're live, as usual, from the second floor of Wells Hall on the beautiful Michigan State University campus in East Lansing, Michigan. They've already chimed in. You've heard their lovely voices. Walter Hopkins and Angelica Kramer, please say hi to everybody. Hello, everybody. Hello. Okay. I'm so excited for today. You guys know why I'm so excited? I, I, Mixler I'm and so Twitter. Uh, no, okay. 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 A pointer sister, you're not. Okay. <laughs> Okay, I've seen you dance. You're not a pointer. <laughs> okay. But I'm excited. Ask me why I'm excited. Why are you excited? Because today we have a special guest. <gasps> we have a special guest. Someone's going to be call, uh, be on the line with us and for, for most of our shows, going to help us field questions. And well, some people I think have already guessed on, on the Twitter sphere who it is. And, and so we're not going to reveal right now for those who don't know. And, uh, but we'll introduce that person in a little while. But I just thought I'd throw that out there because I'm so excited. Um, cause you know, I, I, it's like, I never get visitors. I mean, I live in East Lansing. I don't know about y'all, but I never get visited. Nobody ever comes to visit me. <laughs> I mean, I live alone. My house is a monastery. I mean, my house is a monastery. I could dress my dog in a cowl and a robe and no one would know any different. They would go, that's par for the course, you know, <laughs> tour like monks in that house. Uh, if I, if I, no, if, not, if I didn't come to campus, I could go days without seeing people. I would just, mm-hmm. I could die in my bed and you guys would never know because nobody would come to see me. It's because you but, don't pick up your phone. See? Say what? You don't pick up your phone. Well, you don't invite people either. <laughs> well, you know, I, uh-huh. people don't invite me either. Oh. Okay. Oh. Whatever. <laughs> it's true. People Have you ever invited him anywhere? No, actually, I haven't. See? Oh, come on. <laughs> See? I've invited him multiple times. You know what the answer always is? Oh, sorry, not this time. Mm-hmm. That's multiple mm-hmm. times. Walter, I can count on one finger how many times you've invited yeah. me. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. <laughs> Did you guys see on Twitter the uh, thing that Justin posted? Oh, the tea thing with your picture on it? Yeah. Those who yeah. don't remember last week, Justin, uh, one of our fans, um, guessed correctly that I'm a fa- I am a fan of Earl Grey tea. So go on Twitter and look. He posted a um, picture. Maybe we'll retweet it for everybody. Um, he posted a picture of a, he he uh, photoshopped a box and put my picture on the box of Earl Grey tea. I'm s- I was just so impressed, Justin. Justin, you're my new favorite person to uh, to do stuff for us. I'm gonna I'm gonna hire you to do stuff. So I don't think we have any news. Last week we did our resolutions. This week it's already the second week of January or second week of classes here anyway. Whatever. Yeah. First week of classes? What is it? I can't First week of classes. First week, yeah. yeah. God, see, geez. I should stop taking those Valium, I tell you. <laughs> no, it's true. I just, you know, you get to a certain age and it's all the same day. It really is. It's, I don't think I've had a different day since 1952. No, I'm not that old. I'm just kidding. <laughs> mm-hmm. Although sometimes I feel All like right, it. Alice. Walter <laughs> makes me feel old sometimes. But, you know. Come on. Why? Actually, Walter makes me feel young because he doesn't know any pop culture and he acts like a 72-year-old man sometimes. <laughs> and so and so he makes me feel like I'm, you know, only 28 or something. So, yeah, you, you rejuvenate me, Walter. <laughs> That's so beautiful. That's that a good I can thing. Help you out in that I like way. it. Well, we have a new topic this week. Do you guys know what our topic is? What's our topic? Uh, connection between research and teaching. Yeah, mm-hmm. what is the relationship between second language research and second language teaching? And particularly, do teachers and researchers 
care about the same things or they're interested in different things. Um, this is an important topic, and I'll, I'll talk a little bit about it later um, when we go to introduce our, our guest. But if you want to get in on the conversation, you know how. You should know by now. If you're new, um, I'll remind you, you can call us at 517-844-4321. Again, that's 517-884. What did I put? It's 884. <laughs> My gosh, see, I'm having an Alice moment. For those of you who don't, for those of you don't know what Alice moment is, if anybody's seen that movie, um, Still Alice, it's about a linguist um, who's actually a language acquisitionist in New York. And she suffers from Alzheimer's and starts to lose her memory. And that's me. I'm a linguist. I'm not from New York, but linguists do language acquisition. And I'm, I forget things. But anyway, it's 517-884-4321. Again, 517-884-4321. Our able-bodied phone guy, Dustin DeFelice, the fabulous Dustin DeFelice is in the booth there taking phone calls and waiting for you to call. He loves to hear your lovely voice, so please call us. If you tweet us, we'll try to take your tweet. Or Mixaluris will do that too. Um, Walter is looking at Gmail, T with BVP at gmail.com. If you write into him, he'll read an email. Um, but again, we really, this is a call and talk show. This is your time to interact. You know, we're here for you. We're here to hear your voices. Remember what I said earlier? I get no visitors. Mm-hmm. So we need people to call. This mm-hmm. is my time for visits. Call us. Call us. Call us. Call. Okay. I could. I could. I could be lying in the hospital for a week, and I nobody would come and see me. I oh, swear. Oh, you're so dramatic today. <laughs> it's so wow. dramatic. Yeah. So it's not just the diva. He's the drama queen. Well, there you go. <laughs> hey, so I'm one and the same thing. Okay, um, so we want to hear your questions, your comments, your reactions, your thoughts on this topic. Again, it's what is the relationship between second language research and second language teaching? Grab your cup of tea if you drink tea, Earl Grey, if you're me. Um, And I hope you're drinking something. I'm like, God, uh, being with this group sometimes, I think I'm going to have to change from coffee and tea to something stronger. What do you mean? Wow. I mean, no, we're not so you nice. guys. Not no, no, oh. not you. I was talking about another group. Uh, right. I can't say out loud. Right. Sure. Right. No, no, the door sure. right there on Gallica. We can <laughs> certainly just yeah, walk right yeah, on out. I think we oh, now who's being the drama queen? <laughs> oh my. <laughs> okay, um, and don't forget to call in for our second language acquisition challenge, our SLA challenge quiz. Some lucky call-in person can take a stab at this quiz and win a wonderful tea with the BVP prize. Um, so call in uh, when you do and let Dustin know that you're calling in for the SLA challenge. Um, and uh, he will do that. Don't forget to call your friends, colleagues, students, and others to go to our website and sign up for the newsletter. Um, have them get involved with us. Um, we also want to hear how some of you are using our episodes. Um, Heather from North Carolina, those of you who have been listening for a while, um, uses them for professional development with her teaching staff. And so we want to know, how are you using our episodes? I actually told my Spanish class, my conversation class of the day, to sign in for DV, uh, Tea with BBP so they can learn something about what I do. Um, and also to see if they have questions as students about language learning and language teaching. So Great. Yeah. So. Have they signed up? Well, are you going to give them extra credit? Well, I don't have to I talk to Luca about whether mm-hmm. they've signed up or not. I don't, I don't know if they've signed up or not. But, yeah, I would give them extra credit. Yeah. No kidding. Um, Anyway, so um, uh, our topic uh, today, as a reminder, is what is the relationship between second language acquisition research and language teaching? And are researchers and teachers interested in different or similar things? Um, We're excited because we have a special guest with us today. Is she on the line yet? She's going to be on the line soon? Okay, I know Daniel's doing the phone call to get her up and running. 
So I will refrain from introducing her and doing all her, um, her the, the what do you call it the big uh, the the big uh, laudatory remarks on this person until we get her on the phone. Um, and oh, she's there. Okay. Um, so uh, don't put her through yet. Don't say anything because I'm going to introduce you. So um, our special guest is on the line now, and uh, she's going to help us field comments and questions on the topic today. We'll we'll talk a little bit first, so you can listen to what, uh, us go back and forth on this topic. Um, she is a major scholar in the field of second language learning and language teaching and applied linguistics more generally, with a international reputation in the field. Um, she's professor at Georgetown University. So everybody out there and here in the studio, please welcome Allison Mackey. Yay, Allison! Woo-hoo! Yay, Allison! Say hi to everybody out there. Hi, Bill, and hi everybody. Thank you so much for having me on, and thanks for that lovely introduction. Oh well, I would say more, but it's radio. We have to condense things, you know. If this were plenary, I'd go on for about five minutes about you, which I easily could. But okay, Allison, before we start, we start talking about this topic. I have to tell you. I was so excited about you coming on the air that I, I had a dream about us last night. <laughs> I actually, I actually had a dream about you. You want to know what our my dream was? Oh yes. Does it? Do people out there know the the show Top Chef? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Allison yeah. and I were the hosts of a show called Top Scholar. This was my dream. This is no joke. <laughs> she and I were the Padma and the Tom Colicchio of of top scholar. And in this dream, what people what people had to do is we sat them down, we gave them challenges, we gave them a date, we'd give them a topic and they'd have to write an article <laughs> in a day. Wow. And then they submit us and then Allison and I and the panel of judges would judge it. And then we'd, you know, who was the winner and who was the loser. And then but I took the role of Padma and Allison would turn to me and say she would say, Bill. Um, and then I would turn to someone, I won't tell you who in the dream it was, but I would say Please pack your briefcase and go. <laughs> it was so much. So you were in my dream last night, Allison. So our, we might tell someone to pack their briefcase and go today, right? <laughs> <laughs> Bill, I think this is less of a dream and more of a vision. And um, I think we should give them data sets as well and coding. And we should basically make it a really well-rounded trial. Um, I'm making a list now of who we can have on our first program. Okay. And, um yeah, I'm yeah. really excited. So we could have tea with VP on thir- tea with BVP on Thursdays, and on Tuesdays we could have Top Scholar. That would be awesome. Yeah. That's, That's we're great. doing it. Oh, great. <laughs> well, for those of you um, who uh, don't know, I'm going to introduce the topic, and and then Alice and I will talk a little bit about it um, before we take our first phone call. Um, but I, I, I'm interested in this topic about the relationship between research and teaching, uh, simply because I hear about this a lot from people out there in um, the trenches who say, oh, I, you know, you guys don't look at this. You don't research what I'm interested in. And I go, what are you interested in? Um, and it reminded me of an article that was very influential back in the 80s that was written by a scholar who's now retired. Um, she would not have packed her briefcases and gone, by the way. Patsy Lightbound. Nah. Patsy Lightbound, yeah. who in 1985 wrote an article in the journal Applied Linguistics. Right, Allison? I think, yeah, it was Applied Linguistics. Yeah. Um, and it was in, I think, the June issue. Um, and so if you want to look wow, it up, it's on page, so it starts on precise. page, starts on page 173 if you want to look at it. <laughs> and the Little t- bit rain man now, Bill. It's a bit what? Little bit rain man. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Just throw some matches down. It was 3,242 matches on the floor. Okay. Um, and the title of the article was Great Expectations, and it was about, about the relationship between uh, the relationship between um, research and teaching. 
And Patsy was exploring that idea that what do teachers expect and what are researchers trying to do? And she's, I'm going to quote from the following, and then I'm, I'm going to let Allison respond to this quote from Patsy. I'll let Allison just say something about it after I'm done. Patsy said the following. This is very early on in the essay. She says, I am convinced that second language research does have much to contribute to teaching practice in the long run. However, I believe that at present, its contribution lies not so much in what it has to say regarding the development of syllabus content or specific teaching methods as in what it has to say regarding the development of expectations on the part of teachers for what they and their students can accomplish. Allison, what do you think about that statement? I love that statement. I love Patsy. I love the whole article. Um, one, one thing that occurs to me is that she was writing this um, in the time of the discoveries of people like Peenemann, things like developmental sequences. And so what she meant, I think, was things like, you know, if we can help teachers understand what it is that they can reasonably expect their learners to accomplish based on work like developmental sequences, then those are some of the things that we can help um, teachers with. And I think Patsy was one of those great people in writing, I should say, is Uh oh, technical One of these great people who can, who exemplify some. Are you okay? Can you hear me? Yeah, go ahead. Okay. Um, so she's one of those people who's modest about what it is that we can tell teachers. I often hear myself about the gap between researchers and teachers, in that researchers think that teachers, they think, some researchers think that they, what they do doesn't need to be relevant to teaching, and they defend their right to do research that's not relevant to teaching. And some teachers think that researchers do do work, which, sorry, I can see you waving at me. Can you not hear me? Um, you're fading in and out, but I, I can hear you. I don't know what's happening out there in the broadcast, but. Okay. So, so, so for me, one of, one of the great contributions of this article is to bring researchers and teachers closer together by managing the expectations of each. And Patsy does that really nicely, I think. She helps us understand that, we need to talk to each other and that what we can do as researchers for teachers is help explain what's reasonable to expect from classroom learners. And she also helps us understand that, you know, if we're not going to be able to say anything about language teaching, what are we doing anyway? So for me, this is a great article and I appreciate that. And like you, Bill, I hear a lot from teachers about what what it is that we do and why are we doing it and how it, how can it be applied? Right, right. I, I, you know, I agree with you 100% on that. Um, I'm going to play devil's advocate. We actually got some calls coming in already. Before we take our first call, um, I'm just going to throw this out there, um, not necessarily as a response to you, Allison, but just as a comment. Um, and that's that I think that there's also intermediaries between researchers and language teachers. And traditionally, they've been called methodologists, people who teach courses on methods and people who teach courses about language teaching to people. And I'm going to be honest, I'm going to I'm going to make a comment and people can yell at me afterwards if they want, but sometimes I think people who are engaged in methodology don't do a very good job looking at the bigger picture of what we know about a second language acquisition and distilling it in a fashion for teachers either through books that they've written or through courses they teach and so on. I know that's a big demand to make but but you know th there is that group of people out there who are in charge of doing that and so I, I think that that's a piece of the puzzle we want to throw in um, and and do now sometimes those methodologists are people like us who teach these same courses but sometimes they're not 
So um, anyway, so that's my comment, and I don't know if that's provocative or not, but but we'll throw that in the mix for now. Allison, we've got a caller from Illinois, it sounds like, I'm thinking. Um, do we have a Karen from Illinois on the phone? And let's hope that when the phone call comes through, our technology doesn't drop Allison and doesn't drop Karen. Well, we'll we will see um, we will see what happens here. So is Karen on the line? I'm not hearing Karen. <laughs> Am I hearing Karen? Oh. Yep. Hey, is this Karen from Illinois? Yes. Hey, Karen. Hey, yes. Hey, how you doing? Okay, I can't hear okay. you anymore, Karen. I hear a buzz tone. Did Karen, you hang up? Did you hang Karen. up on Karen? Oh. Oh, now we hear ourselves. Now we hear ourselves. Okay. <laughs> we have too the many people in the mixer. Technology. Allison, say something out loud. See if we can hear you. <laughs> now I can't hear Allison either. <laughs> I can't hear anybody. I can. I just can just. I can hear us. Technical difficulties, ladies and gentlemen. Oh my gosh! Look at this. This is like. This is like, God, I don't want to make a disparaging comment about any parts of the world, but this is like, I don't know what. Penguins in Antarctica running. Here we go. Oh, now we lost Allison. Did you miss all that? <laughs> yes, Karen, I didn't hear a thing, and now we lost Allison. So okay. we're trying to manage. Why don't we, we've got these lines that cross in the studio, and I'm not quite sure what's happened with them. So Daniel's getting Allison back. But we don't, want to, we don't want to have you waiting, Karen. So, Karen, go ahead and talk to me, <laughs> and then we'll get Allison in this on when she can. So go ahead, Karen. Okay, so, so I should start over then? Yes, because none of oh, I okay. don't know if people out there heard you, <laughs> but those of us in the studio here did not hear a thing you said. So. Okay, okay. So starting, so I am an SLA person, and I do teach a method course as well. And um, I'm Great. also the person who collects the research on TPR storytelling. Mm-hmm. Um, so we've heard a lot on your show about, you know, it's a great way of de- delivering comprehensible input, and, um, you know, you should probably get sponsorship from them, actually, at this point. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm working on it. Just kidding. <laughs> so, yeah, so my question is, you know, there has been research that's been done, and yet I don't feel like that research ever really makes it into methods textbooks. Um, so I think in methods textbooks, TPRS is almost never even mentioned. Um, so I was wondering what you think needs to be done to sort of close that loop so that people know that there has actually been research done on TPR storytelling. You know, at least two-thirds of the time it outperforms other methods, one-third of the time sort of more mixed. Um, how, how does that happen? You know, as a diva of SLA, how do you get your <laughs> research out there like that. Okay, Karen, teachers. you are talking to the right person. You ready for this now? Okay, I'm, this is going to be a semi-plug, <laughs> but it's not really a plug. This is actually an invitation, Karen. Um, okay. First of all, I don't believe in methods books. Textbooks are a thing of the past. Um, so Greg Keating, one of my partners in crime uh, in research, and I have developed, he's also a co-author in a textbook with me, um, have developed a, a series or developing a series of modules with uh, Rutledge. Um, okay. And what they are are e-modules, and they're equivalent to something like chapters. And our idea is that we're going to publish these modules. In fact, they're already being published. We've got seven online already, um, and you can go purchase them now. And the idea is that you can pick from this array of things that you want to choose to know about or what you as an instructor want to put hmm. together for a class. 
And so, actually, I was uh, had written to Mikey not too long ago. One of Mikey is one of our fans who calls in. Um, and so, I'll extend this invitation to you now. Um, that I think this is a, the way to go, and that rather than have a book and try, we should just have a module that's out there on TPRS research on TPRS, what it does, and so on. Um, and that's there available for people to use. Um, they can use it or not use it. Um, just like any of the other modules that are in this thing. So um, I think what we want to do is start talking to publishers about getting away from those ideas of, of books because books are, have limited pages and limited topics. Yeah. But if you do modules and you have 25, 30 modules, then people can go in and find what they want and use those hmm. things And when they build a course. What do you think about that idea? Uh, I think it's great. You said some of them are online already? Yeah, you just go to Rootledge, look for the um, e-modules on contemporary language teaching. Um, or okay. you, you could do a Google, you could do a search of Rutledge under my name as well. It should come up. Um, but yeah, um, so there's a so we've got seven out. We've got three more in various stages of production this year and so on. Um, we're soliciting more. Um, our goal is to get like five or six out every year over the next three or four years. So. Okay, so it's um, the Rutledge e modules on contemporary language teaching. Correct. Correct. It's cool. posted on Mixler. And Oh, it's, uh, yeah, it's just posted on Mixler. The link is already on Mixler. The link is already on Mixler. So um, thank, okay. you, thank you, Angelica, for that. So, um, yeah, so... so do you, like, pay by the module? Or how yeah, you pay by the module. So, yeah, they pay, you pay by the module. So rather than buy a book, you can buy five modules, ten modules, eight modules, seven modules, whatever. Um, and they're available in different platforms. Uh, and so, uh, and so anyway, so I invite you to think about um, contributing a module on TPRS to us. We'd love to have one. Yeah, that would so, be great. Absolutely. Well, send me an email. I'll, I'll get in touch with you. Yeah, send me an email later and we'll talk about that. So, yeah. So that's my plug for the day okay. for that kind of thing. But no, I didn't mean to plug. I actually mean that that's the way I would I would handle that. I think you're right. Um, but the problem is we've got to get away from this idea of confined books with limited page space. Yeah, no, I agree because I've only been in my position for four years and already nearly everything I teach is different than what the previous person was doing. So, right. So modules could be updated, you know, more frequently. Yeah, yeah. Um, and before, um, I'm assuming that you, I'm assuming that was pretty much your question, Karen, before you go, I want to see, did we get, did we get Allison back yet? I don't know if she's, Allison still, um, our technical difficulties going on. There's something going on in the studio today. I don't know what it is. It happened last week too with a call dropped when somebody else would call in. So we've put on our request for, um, we put on our request to get this fixed, but you know how universities are. They move like the pace of glaciers. Yes, that is very true. <laughs> not, not, not to comment, because I love MSU. I love my dean. I, lo- I love, I, it, there's so much good, there's so many good things to say about MSU. There really are. But, uh, but you know, universities do have, you have to put a request in and it has to go to somebody. It has to go, you know how that works. So anyway. Okay, so we have Allison back. She probably didn't hear any of that. <laughs> Poor Allison. So we're going to probably let you go, Karen, and thank you for your okay. call. And then um, I'll, I'll, I'll fill Allison in later about what you said or what you asked about. Okay, thanks for calling, Karen. Thanks for calling. Bye, Karen. Have a great day. Bye-bye. Um, we have an announcement. Uh, uh, Angelica, do you want to announce our uh, new resource page that Luca so wonderfully put together for us? Oh, absolutely. So on our main um, page, Tea with PV. Wow! Can't even what? Another, you? Another, wow. Al- another Alice here. Go ahead. Wow! Yeah, no kidding. I need I need more Earl Grey tea. On our website, teawithbvp.com, we added a link um, in the top right corner called Resources, and um, this is going to be a growing list of resources that we make available to, um, as we say on the website, give people a primer. Um, on your approach, Bill, to language acquisition and teaching. So right now there is a series of videos from a talk that you gave in um, at the Michigan World Language Association <coughs> back in 2013. I remember that. I had fun doing that. 
and then also a couple of um, recommended readings for people who are interested. So um, as I said, this will be a, a growing list, um, but please everybody out there, go check it out if you want to dig deeper. Great. Yeah, so check us out. That's what our webpage is for. So, And that's why you get the newsletter, too, so you can be alerted to new things, too. Um, so uh, where are we? Do we have uh, another? Let's actually, before we get back to the phones, do we, Dustin, do we still have somebody waiting for uh, on a second call? Let's take that call, and then we're going to go to an email or something like that. In the meantime, we'll see if we've got Allison back. Um, so Daniel's working on that. Um, so um, who's our second caller? Uh, let's see here. Our we second caller Carly call from is New York. Carly. Is there Car Carly on the phone? Yes, yes, speaking. Hey, Carly, I hear you're calling from New York. What part of New York? Um, I live in Brooklyn, Bro and I work in Brooklyn also. Oh, my gosh. You work at the Hillary Clinton uh, political uh, <laughs> campaign headquarters, don't you? I do not. I work in a middle school. Oh, okay. <laughs> Even better. Even better. Even better. <laughs> All right. So what's up, Carly? What do you want to talk about? Well, I just wanted to say um, from a teacher's perspective, I know that there is research out there and I don't always feel like I have time to read it myself. Um, but what I like to do is I read some teacher blogs from really smart people who have done the research or who have read the research and have suggestions on how to teach better. And I, for the past few years now, have been um, you know, doing things I never learned about in my methods class, but I've learned from these blogs, and I've been having really good success in my class, and I feel like even though I haven't read the actual papers that have been written, I've read the analysis and implementation things that the, the teachers on this blog have written about, and I've, I've really benefited from it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, good. Um, just as, as, a, as a reaction to the comment, I, I think, first of all, that's this is what the Internet's for. Um, so that's yeah. great. Uh, and the second thing is nobody should a out there have to read all the original research and read the articles. I mean, Walter was saying earlier, how much do you read, Walter, in second language acquisition these days? Not very much. I mean, yeah. yeah. And uh, I'm an editor of a journal now, Studies in Second Language Acquisition, the premier journal, Language Learning, and all those other journals are probably going to hate that I say that, but... Um, but I have to say that. Um, and uh, and so I, I read all those things that come in there, and it's harder and harder for me to find time now to go out and read all the other journals um, and find out what's going on. So nobody – and there's – I was thinking about this for this topic because when I got started in this field, there were like two or three journals you could read with L2 research. Now how many are there? Mm -hmm. There's like at least a dozen that really have strong L2 content, and probably another five or six that have related content, I would say. Um, so it's a very, very hard to keep up. So I, I applaud you, Carly, that you're trying to do that. Um, the, um, I will caution people about the one thing, though, about um, reading stuff and posting it and so on, is, and we remind all of our students about this who are doing research in our doctoral program and our MA programs here, for example, is that all your research is published with, with, with a note of caution. Uh, because until we accumulate enough evidence on one particular thing, um, all we can say is a hypothesis to support it. And we can't, we can't say that something is truly a fact or we can generalize and say this is probably true now because we have enough evidence. You need enough research on that, um, looking at it from different angles um, and replication and so on to make sure that, that the conclusions of that, of, the, of that particular article are, are in a sense valid. 
and generalizable. Um, so my only caution is, is when people blog about that, to make sure, keep that in mind. When, when you're blogging, make sure that you remind people that, okay, this is just one article. Uh, unless you're summarizing a series of five or six or seven articles and it looks like the same thing is happening across those different things, and that's different. So, But good for you, Carla. I'm glad you're trying to keep up. That's, that's commendable. Yeah. Yeah. And I wanted to mention one other thing. Sure. Um, because I think your question was, do researchers and teachers care about the same things? Correct. Something along those lines. And I think as a teacher... I'm a, I care about language acquisition, but I have these actual students in my class who all have all sorts of different needs. They have all sorts of different backgrounds. Sometimes they have a bad day at home. Sometimes something really exciting is happening. And so in addition to caring how they're progressing in the language, it's also really cool because I get to care about who they are as a person and then use the language to talk about that. Right. Um, which I don't think researchers necessarily, when they're writing their papers, get to maybe have all of those cool interactions that I get to have. So I think I win as a teacher. There you go. Amen. Preach it, sister. There you go. (laughs) I think we have Allison back on the line. Allison, are you there? Yes, I'm here. Can you hear me? Oh, yeah, I can hear you great. I don't know what you've been able to follow. I don't know what happened with that technical glitch, um, but we're going to fire Skype here in a minute. I'm just kidding. (laughs) Um, So I don't know what you heard if you want to respond to anything that Carly was talking about. So I don't know when you came in on the conversation. So... I came in um, exactly as you were cautioning her about not overgeneralizing the findings of one article and about how we need, and I totally agree with you, that you know before we can make any clear claims, we need to be sure that we have plenty of research behind us, we have meta-analyses, we have replicated research. Correct. Um, I think that's a really good message to send to people, that what we do publish is not always um, going to be the final story, but it's a piece of the puzzle. And that's really what we're all doing as researchers, looking for one more piece to try and make the puzzle of how second languages are learned and how we can best teach them. Yeah, here's, here's a good example about that, Allison. See if you agree with me. I'm a little bit older than you, so you went around when this happened. But in the 80s, there was a lot of um, criticism. In the early 80s, a lot of criticism about the morpheme studies that were emerging in the 70s. And people were saying this and that about them in very critical ways um, and, and, and didn't want to accept the results of those morpheme studies. And then what happened is because of the criticisms, people started doing more research and more research. And by the time Larson, Freeman, and Long, or Long and Larson, Freeman, published their book, in 1991 on uh, second language acquisition, there were about 45 or 46 accumulated studies that they reviewed that they considered to be good studies on morpheme orders. And their conclusion was, in spite of the small little differences here and there, and in spite of different methodologies and, 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 and some things you could poke, there, the, as, as they put it in their book, there's something in the bushes, lurking in the bushes, i.e. there's something real about these morpheme orders. Um, but look, it took from 1972 from the first the first morpheme study until that book was published in 91 for someone to be able to say that and, and feel comfortable about that. I think we all feel comfortable now with those studies in the aggregate yeah. because there's so many of them. So, yeah. yeah, and that's what we're saying, right? Yeah, that, that's a really good point. Yeah, the critical mass wasn't reached until about 91 and the studies started much earlier and they were talked about, debated, picked apart in the 80s when, of course, I was only 10 years old. Exactly. And, um, <laughs> You were still doing uh, those ballet plies at the bar, right? Is that what you were doing? Exactly. <laughs> not, not like Charlene Polio, your colleague there, who can I give a shout out? It's her birthday Woo-hoo! today. Yay! Happy birthday, Charlene. Happy birthday, Charlene. Happy birthday. I, I did Love you... great yes. research. <laughs> I know. I was looking at Facebook this morning, and I, I posted her. All the people who had wished her happy birthday was kind of cute that they were saying. so. Um, uh, anyway, um, before we take the next call, or we look at our email here. I want to ask you to address one thing real quick, since we're on this topic of... 
uh, um, of research and making sure we feel comfortable about it. Um, and maybe we'll get Roy Lister on the phone someday and, and about this. But what is your take, for example, on um, um, on uh, uh, the research on recasts. Do you think we have enough research out there on recasts now? For those in the audience who don't know what recasts are, there's research on um, when you rephrase or restate to a learner what he or she just said in, in a more native-like way as part of the interaction, the ongoing interaction with that person, to confirm what you heard, but also to rephrase it in a way that is more standard. Um, and so uh, is Carly still in the line? You guys can let Carly go. Go ahead yep. and tell yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm still unless, here. Unless, Carly, you want to, you know, you can hang out with us here if you want. I'll say goodbye. Thanks for taking my call. Okay, Carly. Thanks a lot. Thank Bye-bye. you so much Carly. for calling. Okay. So anyway, so Allison, what, what is your take on the research on recasts? Do you think we've had enough now? Because there's a lot of people talking about recasts, and they're becoming more and more a part of the discussion about um, language teaching and things that, you know, as, as something that teachers can do. It's, 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 I find recasts is very interesting. And I think Roy and I actually, you know, despite the fact that we've had a disagreement in the literature on one thing, we agree on an awful lot of things. Um, we sat down at one of the last conferences and talked about this from uh, both of our perspectives. So recasts, um, there's so much involved in a recast and so many, many things to study from a laboratory perspective. When we're looking at what they tell us about how languages are learned, you know, how explicit they are, what they focus on, how enhanced they are, um, how noticeable they are, how noticed they are. There's a lot. Um, and there are many perspectives on recasts in the classroom. And of course, there's much more Roy's area than it is my area of expertise. Um, However, I think what you're asking is, have we reached saturation point with recasts? <laughs> and I would say, from my perspective, I'm, let, I'm not doing that much research on recasts anymore. I'm focusing more on individual learners' individual differences mm -hmm. and how that impacts their language learning. But that can include, you know, how their, their ability to notice or learn from recasts also. So I'm thinking about, you know, what's people's working memory capacity? What's the level of cognitive creativity? That's something that's new in the literature. So I think that connects with recasts, but also many other things. Um, I, I agree with you that there still seems to be tremendous interest in it. And uh, one of the most fascinating things I find about recasts so is that when I give a presentation, no matter where I give it, if I give it to a bunch of teachers, I can formally define a recast for them and they already know what it is. They already use mm -hmm. it and they already have opinions about it. So one of the things that um, I'm interested in at the moment is, um, and I've been talking with Pauline Foster about this as well, um, from Queen Mary in London, Teachers of different languages and different cultural backgrounds have different interpretations of recasts, what they are, when to use them, how successful or effective they are. And obviously, researchers, teachers and learners perspectives don't always overlap. So I think that's right. another really interesting area and piece of the picture. But I do think that a comparison of recasts and other discourse features has never really been the main part of what anybody wants to do, because we don't want to sort of say a teacher only needs one trick in their toolbox, tool in their toolbox. Recasts are one part of classroom interaction. There are many other kinds of um, things that teachers do as well. Recasts are just one of them. Um, so I, I personally don't think we've reached saturation because as you see, people are still presenting on them at conferences, writing on them. I got a paper from a journal just the other day. Will you review this on all the recasts? I think there are another couple of meta-analyses coming out. Um, but I do think that the recast research is moving. Um, one thing that, um, you know, I hope you'll address this maybe on your show one day is this 
movement of SLA towards the more social on one end and the more um, cognitive and psycholinguistic on the other. And I do see that in the recasts um, literature as well, that mm -hmm. some people are much more interested in exploring recasts and how they're performed in a social setting and the you know relationship between the participants and what it means in that way. And other people are more interested in recasts in the brain and you know what recasts are telling us about cognition. So that that, you know, I see the recast research fragmenting in a way that, you know, I also see um, people have talked about the field fragmenting too. Right, right, and that's true, and 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 actually, and both sides of those coins would be equally interesting to teachers. You know, whether yes. there's there's an impact of a recast on what happens in the learner's head, at, in addition to how these things play out socially in the classroom, for example. So, yeah. Yes, well, indeed. guess what, Allison? We have a caller from New Jersey. I just want to remind people before we take this call: don't forget to call in for the SLA challenge because mm. you got a wonderful prize here. You're going to win if you call in. S simple three little questions. That's all you got to answer. Simple. Uh, um, prize. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so uh, we've got Tim on the line. Tim, are you there? Hi there. Yes, hey. I am. Thank you. How Tim, are you? where are you calling from? I'm calling from uh, the west coast of New Jersey on the Delaware River. Oh wow! I've never been to the Delaware River. Is it swimmable? It's a beautiful. Uh, yeah, you know, in the in the summer it is, except huh. when George Washington was trying to cross it in uh, in 1770, uh, whatever it was. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I've got I've got that painting. It's so firmly etched in my head that it, it's, it's yeah. funny that you say that. So Tim, what yeah, are you calling about? Uh, What's of interest for you today? Uh, well, you know, this is actually a topic that's near and dear to my heart. Um, I'm actually a student of Zhao Hong Han's in New York, and uh, I teach uh, SLA, Intro to SLA, to teachers out here in New Jersey. And, um, you know, I think one of the, the challenges that I have with, with these teachers-to-be and practicing teachers who are expanding into English as a second language um, is that they have this disposition where they are they're intent on applying research directly to a methodology and I have a I'm trying to switch them to a disposition where rather than looking at the connection between research and a methodology it's the connection between research and a learner you know how to how I'm trying to trying to get them to see how to understand the learners in front of them um, and, and 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 change their dispositions about that um, you know, I, I try to get them to see that um, research research studies are just models of ways of looking at learners and learning, and that's how that's where we make our decisions, um, as opposed to uh, making decisions from a methodology-based perspective. So, in brief, it's making decisions as a teacher based on observations of the learner, rather than making dispositions uh, or making making decisions as a teacher based on on a methodology. Um, but I have a really, really hard time turning people's heads around. Mm -hmm. um, well, it's a good thing you're not directing the exorcist then. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know that was built at Georgetown, right? Yes, Sarah, yes. <laughs> Actually, you know, everybody who ever travels to Georgetown, Allison, has to go to that alley and look at those steps where the priest fell down at the end where we got thrown out the window. So that's and like... You don't even know we're renaming them. They're getting a plaque and they're being called the Exorcist Steps. Get out of here. Is that true? <laughs> I am not making this up, honestly. Well, Allison, would you like to comment on uh, t uh, what Tim just said before, uh, if I say, before I say anything? I would indeed. As our guest? I, I, so... Oh. <laughs> 
<laughs> I guess we lost Allison again. Okay. She got so excited that she pushed the red button. That that was funnier beyond belief. It was like just just right when she was going to say something. Click. Sorry, Tim. Okay, we are definitely firing Skype after this session today. Okay, Tim. Yeah, Tim. I, I'm going back to that. Um, I'm going back to that. Um, that article by Patsy Lightbound, uh, which I'm sure, are you familiar with that that article I mentioned at the top of the show? I am, as a matter of fact. Yeah, that's that's the first thing I have them read when they start the class. Okay, and I was going to ask you. And so, what is that? How does that make them? How does that make them? What do, what do they think when they read that article? Well, you know, it, it's interesting because, in effect, at the beginning of the semester, when I present them with that article and I ask them to respond, I actually get the kinds of answers that I like to hear. Um, that they understand that there is a gap between research and practice, and that. Um, that 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 gap, it, it, there isn't a direct connection necessarily. Um, and so in in a way, I, I want to say they at least pay lip service to it, um, and I and I believed it to be a dawning of consciousness. And yet, when we get to the end of the semester, I've I've actually found that they've kind of reverted back to the, well, how do I apply this to a methodology? And I'm I'm surprised by that. I'm surprised by that. You know, even after we've gone through. Um, you know, numerous assignments where we're looking at learners, you know, um, data from learners and looking at, you know, things like U-shaped learning and evidence of transfer or lack of transfer and um, timelines of development and that kind of thing. Um, you know, especially, especially if I'll make, make the observation that, hey, look, regardless of when instruction took place, um, we don't see change until X number of months afterwards kind of thing. Um, and so... I provide them with, with learner evidence of a disconnect between you know, theories and, and methodologies. And, um, and yet, at the end of the semester, they, 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 they reverted back to um, a, you know, what I consider a rather entrenched uh, inclination to, to say, well, if I can't see a direct connection between the methodology and the research, um, then I, you know, I, I really can't buy into any of this thing. Right. Uh, as opposed to making a direct connection between the learner and the research. Well, well let me say two things here, Tim, that, that I don't know if this will be helpful or not. But <clears throat> first of all, we're going to have a show at some point this semester, I think. Um, it's on the list. I have to go back and refresh my Alice memory. Um, mm-hmm. But we want to talk, talk about the idea that um, the whole concept of methods is a dead concept anyway. Uh, I'm going to bring that up in some issues. Say methodology and methods, right. we're done with that. And yeah. so my second thing is that um, I don't believe in talking about methods in my course. For example, every fall I teach a course for teaching assistants and graduate students on, uh, it's called Con- Foundations of Contemporary Language Teaching. And yeah. what I do in that course, because that course was called Methods when I got here, Methodology of Teaching, and I just I changed the title of the course. And I've gotten away from that whole idea of, of, of that stuff. And what we do is we read stuff on language, communication, language acquisition, and so on. We have a series of modules. And with every yeah. module, what, I've, what I require the students to do is come up with a principle um, about the relationship between language learning and language teaching. So I phrase mm-hmm. it that way, based on what they've read and what we've discussed in class. And they do that every, for every module. And then they have to actually write a little mini essay on that. And then they present yeah. it in the class, they do different things. And so what they, the idea is for them to wind up with a set of seven principles by the time they get done with the course that they own, that they've developed, that are part of their repertoire. Um, and we just get away from that whole idea of talking about translating research into teaching, but talking about the connection between language acquisition and language teaching in a different way. So th- yeah. I don't know Maybe you, I don't know if that helps you at all. Maybe I don't know how you structure your course, but you might think about it in terms of helping your 
um, your um, uh, students, um, you know, conceptualize what they're doing differently. Yeah, no, I like that. In way, it seems more like an inductive approach on their part, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. What you do is you kind of make them own ideas and make them think about not methods, but in general, what's it, what's yeah. the connection between this topic and language acquisition teaching broadly? Okay, so yeah. here, here's a good example. Yeah. For example, my first module is on the nature of language. Okay, yeah. the second module, nature of communication. So yeah. um, the um, the, um, the the first module, nature of language. What most of the students come to conclusion of by the time we get done talking about it and so on is that language is too complex and too abstract to be able to be taught explicitly. They always come up with yeah. some version of that kind of principle. And then they yeah. run the right essay about the, what that means. And then how they, what they walk away with in terms of, what they walk away with in terms of developing their own approach to the classroom method is something else. But at least now they walked away with this underlying idea that this is the nature of language and this is what it, this is what it generally means for language teaching. And then we do the same for communication and so on. And so you might try that approach with them and see, see what happens. Um, see if you have a little bit more success down the road when, the next time you teach that course. Yeah, yeah. No, that, that sounds like a really great idea. I will, uh, I'm, I'm actually just, you know, we, I've just finished uh, the last semester and I'm in the process of revising um, for the next time I teach the course. So, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll definitely work those suggestions in. Well, Tim, I got a question for you since you're on the phone yeah. right now. How come you haven't called yep. in for the uh, SLA Challenge quiz uh -huh, since you're a, yeah. since you're a student <laughs> of Zhao Hang Han? Why why um, why um, why haven't why aren't you offering to take the quiz? You could win a prize. I, I will I will be taking the quiz. As a matter of fact, I only just heard about it today when I started the program. So. Oh okay. Um, oh, so you're yeah. a newbie. Yeah. Hey, you guys, we have yeah. a newbie. Nice. Oh, let's haze them. Yeah, let's haze them. Oh, come oh, my on. Goodness. Bill, poor Tim. We want to haze. How can we no, haze no, we our newbie? Know. We want to haze a newbie. How can we you haze can, a newbie? You can force him to take the SLA challenge. <laughs> isn't, isn't, isn't the whole doctoral? Isn't the whole doctoral course of study is basically a process of hazing? <laughs> I, 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 I don't know. It was so long ago for me. Back back when I did my doctorate, people were still writing their 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 doctoral dissertations by candlelight with a long with a pen. But that's another story. Right. Well, actually, Grant on Mixler is suggesting that we could possibly haze him by making Tim wear the tiara. Oh, the tiara that you had from yes. uh, Aqua? Okay, Tim. We're going to make you wear a tiara in public. You have to, and you have to Snapchat it and Twitter it and tweet it to us. Okay, so, are you so Tim, are you ready for the quiz? Sure, go for it. Okay, this is how it works, in case you don't know, since you're a newbie. Uh, I love that word, yep. newbie. You know why? You know what it rhymes why? with? No. Oh, boy. Oh, my God. There's <laughs> lots of things that it rhymes with. Well, anyway, I'm I not going to I have a feeling go. I'm going to be embarrassing myself in front of my colleagues online. Yeah. But, uh, oh, well. That's all right. <laughs> Okay, uh, so what we do is we have a series of three questions, and uh -huh. uh, they, I think they progressively get um, more difficult, but I could be wrong. Um, so I st uh -huh. try to start with the easiest question. And if you get Which is never easy, of course. And if you get two out of yeah. three right, um, you get one prize, and if you get three out of three right, you get both prizes. Would you like to know what, uh -huh. you're, what you're vying for today? Uh, go ahead. Okay. If you get two out of three right, you get this wonderful Spartan green back scratcher that's extendable. It, uh, <laughs> it collapses. It's about six or seven inches, about seven inches in length. And then you can pull it out, a telescope it, and it's about almost two feet. So you can really reach down to the, if you're a tall person, really down to the bottom of your back if you want. Um, 
And it's great, and you can use it on the subway, and it really freaks people out when you do it. Um, And and then uh, if you – so if you get two out of three right, you get that. If you get three out of three right, you get that, and you'll get a copy of uh, Key Terms and Second Language Acquisition, second edition, written by myself and Alessandro Benatti. I don't know if you know that book or not. I've heard of it. I like that. I like that more than the back scratcher. Well, then you better get all three right. Um, okay, so you're ready. Here's your questions. Be paying attention on right. Mixler. Sometimes people will help you out there. Yeah, you so. get a lifeline, so pay attention to Mixler. Okay, you ready for uh, question number one? Go for it. Okay. This is, this is, this is baby, so this, you better get this one right. What do we call the subset of input that learners actually process? I get, you get four choices each time. Ready? So what do we call the subset of input that learners actually process? A, men- mental data. B, competence. C, intake. D, net income. C, intake. C, intake. Ding, 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 wow, ding, ding, ding. You said it while you were still asking the question. I know. We got That's another so Eric. We got another Eric on the yeah. line. We've got this guy who's like, like, what was the joke I made? I hate to go on a date with you because you'd be done with dinner by the time I get my first drink or something. He, this guy, Eric, was so fat. He would like just jump before I even said the first Thing. So you got to hear all four choices first because, you know, the audience is listening now. There's, there's a, <laughs> yeah. there's, and there's as a matter there, of fact, there, there's Eric there's, responded to it. There's, too, I know. <laughs> there's an art to this, Tim. So, so let everybody hear the responses. And the fourth one is always supposed to be funny, too. So, okay. Very good. Number Sometimes two. not terribly funny. Though. Number two. <laughs> um, learners regularly demonstrate that they have more underlying competence than what they could have explicitly learned or what they could have gotten from the input. What is this situation called? A, overgeneralization. B, poverty of the stimulus. C, fossilization. D, lucky guessing. Uh, could you repeat what the question was in the first place? Sure. Learners have no underlying competence except what they've experienced? No, no. Right? Learners, ready for this? Learners regularly demonstrate uh-huh. that they have yeah. more underlying competence than what they yeah. could have explicitly learned or what they could have gotten from the input. What uh, is right, the situation yeah. called? Yeah, uh, poverty of stimulus. Is it poverty of the stimulus, Walter? Yes, indeed it is. Ding, 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 Yay! ding, 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 Woo! Yay. All right. three. Okay, so you got the back scratcher, which will zoom out, and you right. can actually hit students across the desk with it, too, if you want. Okay. <laughs> Here's number three. This is for the big tamale here. The or Actually, in Spanish, it's tamal because it's singular. Okay, so you ready? Since we're on the yep. topic of Patsy Lightbound, Patsy Lightbound published an influential study in 1983 on a teacher who focused on particular grammatical forms during that year uh-huh. of classroom instruction. What did that study show at the end? A, the learners regressed to where they were prior to instruction. B, there was long-term retention a year later. C, Learners learned some things, but not others. D, the students began drinking heavily. (laughs) (laughs) Boy, I am going to have to guess at this one. That'll be something of an educated guess. I'm going to go with C. Learners learned some things, but not others? Right. 
I'm sorry about that. No. Okay. Patsy Lightbound in 1983 published a, a really neat study. Long-term she, retention. She followed, no, she followed this teacher for a year and what they were doing in the classroom. And this teacher yep. emphasized certain things that she just thought were really important. And she drilled it and drilled it and drilled it and really practiced it with these students. Um, and there was a momentary disruption in acquisition orders. And what Patsy found was that um, when she went back and tested those students, when they came back to school in September, after mm-hmm. that year, they were back where they were before they started with that previous teacher. They regressed. Ah. It's like they didn't learn anything, um, yeah. which was an important study to show that explicit teaching and, and practice like that does not do what we think it does at all. So, um, well, at least you got a back scratcher. So, Tim, you'll have to. The answer makes experiential sense. I mean, you know, what what Patsy Lightbound found is indeed what I've experienced myself. Yeah, yeah. I mean, exactly. So, but it was it was yeah. So, if you don't know that study, should that be a good study for your students to read too? So, um, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it was published in a book that Michael Long and um, who else edited? Um, Herbert Seliger. So not Sel- not Larry Selinker, but Herbert Seliger, um, edited 1983. It was published by Newberry Press, so um, you can find it in there. All right. All right. Well, Tim, it's been great talking to you. Thank you for taking um, to the call. And by the way, Allison, who had to go, and we got disconnected, and then they tried to get her back, but then she had to go because I told her she only had to be on for, for 30 minutes. Um, she wants to tell you to say hi to Zhao Hong for her. Absolutely, so, I shall. So, and do the same <laughs> for me. Tell Zhang Han to say hi. So, I, absolutely, I shall. Thank you. Okay, all right. Thanks, Tim. Thanks, Thanks so much Tim. for calling, Bye-bye. Tim. Okay, bye-bye. Bye-bye. What a nice guy. That was a that was a great uh, that was a great quiz. I was rooting for him to win the book, though. My gosh, I got these things on my shelf. I got to get rid of. No, just kidding. <laughs> um, I want to remind everybody out there that these books were provided by um, Bloomsbury Press. Um, in from London, and so we want to acknowledge their generosity. Um, go to bloomsbury.com and look what they have for second language acquisition. You'll find some things um, there that you might like, including my books, or my book. I have one book with them, so. But they have a lot of good titles <laughs> in second language stuff. Okay, uh, I don't think we have anybody on the line right now, but there were some, um, I think, Mixler questions or email questions we wanted to look at before uh, we lose, before we... Um, Run out of time today. So who? who All right, I have a question here. Oh, Walter has a question. I'm not sure how to pronounce this person's name though. It's I L. Sorry, it's I H O S. Give the person a nickname. Yo. Okay, we'll call <laughs> this person Yo. Why, in your opinion, is it so hard to break with teaching practices based on grammar rules when common sense and resounding research evidence have long proven that rules don't work when it comes to communicating efficiently and fluently in the and in any language. My contention is that most language teaching is dominated by publishing houses and exam-making companies, and deviating from their long-standing teaching practices simply means making less money. Would you agree with me that economic reasons can be a hurdle to more efficient learning of second languages? Uh, yes and no. Um, so um, I think we talked about this a long time ago, one of our first shows, actually, I mentioned this, that there's a, there's a, a, a vicious cycle between commercial materials and language teaching. Commercial materials publish what teachers expect and what they will buy, and teachers buy what commercial publishers give them. And so the answer to that is that is that I don't think it's the publisher's fault um, or the tester's fault. I mean, that's what teachers are asking for, so that's what gets published. Um, I think the... The why we're talking about this topic, you know, today, for example, and other topics, we'll have more topics down the road about um, teacher education, things like that, um, and second language acquisition. Is that 
I don't think we have a large enough, the sociology of the professions, we don't have a large enough group of people um, out there educating people and, and changing um, the content and knowledge um, in methods courses and in, I mean, I, I, um, I, I, I can tell you um, when I was at another institution, and I will not name any names, that I looked at someone's syllabus um, and I was quite frankly taken aback at some of the topics and what was going on in that course. Of course, I didn't say anything. It's not my domain to say anything uh, because this person was dealing with concepts from like the 50s and 60s. And I just was, oh my gosh. And it's because that person wasn't in the field to speak of. And so, and I think that happens more often than not, unfortunately. So I think that's really, we have to change the profession and get more L2 people involved in language teaching. Because um, I did a study, uh, a little mini study that I published this last March. And I think uh, um, I'll just say real quickly uh, to that writer, I won't say caller because it was a writer, um, writer inner, I don't know, how do you call a person, an emailer? <laughs> that uh, that uh, that in Spanish, it's like um, less than six percent of the of the population uh, professoriate across the country in languages is an L two person. Um, their hmm. rest are in other areas, and then and then in French, it's even less. And those are the two languages that I work with. So I think I think that's that's part of the issue. And I, I don't think we want to blame publishers, so to speak, because um, remember, publisher will publish what you buy. So until you start demanding different things, they're going to do what they're going to do. Any wrap-up comments you two have before we've got just a couple of minutes left before we have to sign off? So time flies. Uh, do we have a quick question? I have Does a quick we, question here. You sure. A, you have a quick question? Yep. Yeah. It's um, this is from Anna, and she says, as an elementary Spanish teacher that tries to follow the latest research, she faces two problems: where to find the research and how they can help her with her teaching, because she finds lots of articles are far away from practical implementation mm-hmm. into teaching. Yeah, that's what Tim was talking about earlier and some others. There's no easy answer to that question because there's no place to go find that. Um, I am going to recommend to her, she can she can look at, <laughs> again, I'm plugging a book. Um, I, I, I'll send her an email because I want to plug my own material. Sure. I'll just send her an email, but but I think my book will help her, input output, because it summarizes a lot of stuff. I have to update that book, but I still. think there were some questions, too, on, on in other places asking, you know, when you're not connected to a university, how do you get access to these journals that without them costing a yeah, an arm and a leg? Exactly. You know, so. well, well, we're working on that. So. And that was discussed, too, on Mixler, and somebody posted something to that effect. So check out the discussions on Mixler. Yeah, I mean, and this show partially handles that, too. I mean, one of our jobs we're trying to do through, I mean, you know, the topics repeat, so... So in the sense that they overlap. And so things will come up bit by bit. So if you listen to the show and interact with us and, and, and you can learn things and so on. So um, Sorry we can't get to all of your questions. It's really hard to fit every. There are so yep. many questions and so many emails and so many yeah. posts. And we, we, we do our best to get to as many as we can. So. Well, we got to start wrapping up here. We're getting the signal that it's time to, to go. God, the time flies fast, I tell you. Mm-hmm. So please remind all your colleagues and friends and students that tea with BV, uh, to go to teawithbvp.com and have them sign up for a weekly newsletter. Uh, we want to give our acknowledgments and our thanks once again to our technical producer, Daniel Trago. He's wonderful. It's not his fault. It's Skype. That's the problem today. Our media producer, Luca Giapponi, who's back from Italy. Yay! Um, the guy who you know who takes your phone calls, Dustin. Um, he's back there behind the booth. Our wonderful assistant production manager, Jeff Maloney. My Maloney has a first name. I love saying that. 
<laughs> and we have somebody new on the Tea with BVP staff. It's Emma Dunn. She's a new intern um, that Angelica's brought on fold. So thank you, Angelica. We'd love to have Emma here. Um, we want to thank the Center for Language Teaching Advancement, a.k.a. CELTA for short, the College of Arts and Letters here at Michigan State University. As a reminder, the ideas and opinions expressed in this program do not reflect those of the Center for Language Teaching Advancement, the College of Arts and Letters, any of our sponsors, or any other official entity of Michigan State University. Thank you all for listening. Tune in next week when our topic will be our vocabulary and grammar learned differently. Should be interesting. Until then, happy weekend and happy second language acquisition. Adios. Auf Wiedersehen.